Hello fellow infectionists and welcome back to another episode of Picking at Perfection. Today is a super special episode as we have a returning guest. Welcome back Lorna Greville. Hello, thank you so much for having me back. What a what a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you as always. And um, for anyone who hasn't quite got to your episode or your prior episode yet Lorna, would you like to give an introduction to yourself? Absolutely, yeah. So yeah, I'm Lorna. Um, I am a client director based in uh, the southeast of England. I work in higher education, so maybe that seems a bit strange to be in a client director position working uh, in a third sector company uh, or a third sector sector. Um, but essentially what that means is I work closely with universities to help them understand students, what they're looking for, what they need, and essentially support them with their recruitment. So my job is thinking about the minds of 17-year-olds and 22-year-olds and what they're looking for uh, in their next step for education and helping universities to connect with them in the in the right way. So a really key kind of role to help young people develop and, you know, an amazing area to discuss this kind of topic with. Because we're here to talk today about the glass ceiling. Lorna, what yes. does that mean to you? I think the glass ceiling has been co-opted really by a big gender debate. I think it's most commonly used when talking about women in the workplace, that there's this glass ceiling that women can never get beyond. I think in terms of a definition, it essentially is a an invisible force that's stopping somebody get to the next level. Uh, you know, in the kind of gender debates or race debates, that's really about um, societal forces uh, stopping women or a minority folk progressing. I think what I'm really interested in also is the self-imposed glass ceiling. So the stories and the narratives we tell ourselves that we're not even aware of that stop ourselves getting to where we really should be, where we could be, where we deserve to be. That's my kind of main interest. I think there's a lot of other very, very complex things going on for uh, progression at a societal level. But yeah, I think a self-imposed glass ceiling is, is something we should all be aware of. No, interesting, because it probably, we were just saying before we hit record on this, that it wasn't a phrase that I'd heard a great deal of. Um, and I kind of wonder if that's perhaps one, because I'm male, because I do think that you're right, it has that gender connotation to it. Um, so maybe it's something that's not necessarily been thrown around perhaps towards me or uh I by it in my industry but I when I sort of hear this phrase obviously it does sound like a, a limiting um kind of situation and also I don't know it's just a really interesting phrase in general not to get into the linguistics of it that's obviously not what we're here to talk about but it is it's like being able to see the stages onwards but not being able to get there have I understood yeah, that correctly absolutely so you're looking upwards and you're like great I can definitely get there but then there's there's no route there there's no route there at all. So you're not aware that there's a ceiling above you. Now, if you're, uh, you know, the way it's most used in you know, women in the workplace, you're looking upwards, you're looking at like a VP track or an exec board track and not realising that as you walk up, you're going to be meeting a limit, Got which it. will stop you getting there. Understood. And um, so what what do you think, um, what was your personal kind of experience with this? Was it self-limiting or do you think that society's kind of imposed that on you? I think self-limiting beliefs can be imposed externally and through parenting you know there's so much that we could blame our parents for um perhaps unfairly but I think there is a moment you know sometimes the glass ceilings are imposed by others which that just somebody's going to stop you getting where you want to go but I think that self-imposed experience for me um I think really I only realized that I had it when I realized that I was stopping myself from dreaming big and I think this really really happened in probably my early 20s I was doing a master's part-time, working full-time, working in a bar. I had a degree. I was working in a bar and um, working with my therapist at the time. I told her that uh, I wanted to be a writer, but I could never be a writer. 
And we spent a lot of time trying to work out why I didn't think I could be a writer. And what we came back to is I just I'd I'd never tried. I'd never given it a go. The idea of it was so, it felt so aspirational. And the idea of going for it and failing felt far too scary to allow myself the belief that I could achieve, achieve that. And so she set me a goal. She's like, okay, well, just for six weeks, apply for writing jobs to see, see what happens. And I had a job in two weeks, full-time writing job, paid terribly, I might add. But this like I'd had kind of a dream that was felt completely unreal and I had stopped myself getting anywhere with it because I just didn't expect that it was possible and I think there's lots of other ways that that transpires for other people and also for myself and I think also working in higher education spending a lot of time thinking about um what we call widening participation students or WP students and those are students who come from backgrounds where they're really unlikely to go to university and university has a lot of bad press at the moment but it's still the most solid way to gain mobility economic mobility there's loads of other great ways we've talked about that in the past apprenticeships are a fantastic solution but by volume university degrees are the best way to create economic um, economic mobility and I think you you absolutely experience young people who come from deprived backgrounds whose expectations of themselves are higher than maybe what their family have achieved, but not as high as what they really can achieve. And I think it's for some people, just having a full-time job is a massive, massive achievement compared to the, the background they come from. And sometimes then it's purely exposure to what's possible or what's normal in another sphere that allows that glass ceiling that you've got in your own mind to, to disappear. So how, on that note then, how did your writing career <laughs> pan out? <laughs> Fine, I just hated it. <laughs> I'd spent a long time thinking, I really want to be a writer. Oh my gosh, being creative with words for a living sounds glorious. And actually it's solitary, often not super creative, normally working to a tight brief, working with other people's timeframes. Um, and it really didn't give me the joy that I was expecting. So I did it for nine months and then not long after moved into marketing, um, which provided me with the creativity that I was craving from writing and also, you know, working in a, uh, commercially sensitive environment also you know using language to be really persuasive is kind of really fun so I've managed to use it in a different way um I've written lots and lots of market emails and lots of advertising copy in my time but yeah just being a copywriter is not for me so an ultimate relatively happy ending just not in the, yeah. the early days but how interesting that it took the confidence and the courage to try that role and you obviously got the you say your therapist kind of guiding you into that and then actually not enjoying what what was there how yeah. unfortunate it would be if that you let that um lack of courage hold you back even more so and then tried it later in life and you know that poses even more situation of regret because you wouldn't have ultimately landed on that marketing area that you enjoyed more absolutely i could not agree more and i think and this is advice i give to any undergraduates that i mentor that sometimes working out what you don't want to do is as important as working out what you do want to do and working out what you're you know not good at or good at is both those things are really really important but yeah it's putting yourself in a position where you expect to fail I think that's I feel like failure is such a buzzword at the moment isn't it um it's a great is it the how to fail podcast with Elizabeth Day yeah fantastic podcast so buzzword I think you know Stephen Bartlett talks about failure a lot as well very very cool and I mean they're not wrong they're not wrong but I think it's it is absolutely an enormous act of courage to walk into something with the expectation of failure which is absolutely what I did when I was going for these writing jobs Mm -hmm. and I think I'm a big fan of the the phrase fail forward 
of in terms mm. of just trying new things if you fail at them then that's okay and you can move on um and I, as yeah long as you learn something exactly yeah then it's it's not a failure right uh but okay so back to sort of the glass ceiling of of this situation then so in you were holding yourself back from going into that writing position what do you think that particular barrier was was it the thinking that you were unqualified to to do that job thinking that you weren't experienced enough yes not experienced enough um the perception that it was very very competitive um a constant perception that i everyone else would be better than me anyway and that there'd be other people that are better um and that's just that i would be unsuccessful i think that's you know that the expectation that rather than giving it a go i was just like well i won't i won't be successful so what's the point mm. i think that was a big was a big thing holding me back i think I didn't learn the full lesson first time around because I think after that, the first job I went into um, following that was was another, uh, it was actually an, edu- an education job. Was I didn't go straight into marketing, um, but kind of went back into education, which is obviously where I've ended up forever since. And I was, a, I had a, by the time I moved into that job, I had a master's and a bachelor's degree and quite a lot of experience and had done a lot of teaching and obviously worked as a writer and I took a job that was £16,000 a year which really isn't that much money uh, and wasn't even then we're going back we're going back 10 years really feels feels like yesterday but we're going back 10 years £16,000 even then was not very much money at all and my expectations for salary for the future didn't really exceed £25,000 my uh, and I think again thinking about confidence in the way you kind of watch other people and your expectations are about the people around you my mum because of health issues in my memory has never worked she did work as when I was really little but I don't really remember it and so I was never exposed to somebody that worked full-time I was never I didn't we didn't have any income growing up and so for me to have a full-time job where I was earning money and I could pay my own rent and I could send money back to my mum was like such an enormous achievement in and of itself because like in my memory my mum had never done that and so that was a really interesting experience with then meeting my partner who um is his whole family are so aspirational they have all of the courage they dive into things head first they put their all into everything they expect to succeed and I've always expected to fail I've always expected that um maybe until recently I've always expected that like I'll go for something and it won't transpire so I won't bother and then first step was getting this writing job just giving it a go and then my partner was very like clear he's like you, you are not valued in where you were you absolutely deserve more money there's also a big lefty part of me that's like money's the devil and that obviously also is not the case um um, so I think also like that exposure piece, like somebody having greater expectations for me than I had of myself, being very vocal about it, putting it in number terms was also really, really powerful. And so one of the steps that we took was for me to apply to go and do a PGCE, um, which I'd have loved. I work in education now. That I'm sure would have been great. That place was deferred for a year. And so I, I kind of had this like interesting year of freedom where I was going to go and do another qualification that would have me set for life with a job for life. Teaching is such a fantastic, beautiful, stable career. But then I it wasn't starting till September and this was like November. So I had a year of total freedom. And Matt, my, my partner said like, you can do something really creative. You can do whatever you like. And money is not a problem. Again, like you don't have to go and try and earn more money somewhere because you've got this job 
on the way. And that's when I took my first job in marketing. And that's when I jumped into something that I had no experience in whatsoever and just was looking for something creative and found a, a fantastic company, Banana Kick, that doesn't exist anymore. They believed in me. Matt believed in me first. They believed in me. They promoted me twice in six months. And I, suddenly I was earning more within six months of joining that company than I would be as a qualified teacher and loving what I was doing, like addicted to it, working all the hours because it was so gratifying to create something. So I kind of had these limits of like what I could achieve for my role and then also like limits about what I should expect of myself financially because of the environment that I'd grown up in that things whatever my mum had done I could always achieve more and therefore was a success but that doesn't mean to say that I couldn't do more have more impact touch more people do bigger things mm -hmm. and somebody else's belief in me really helped that almost like having a, a mentor kind of situation of, of someone to encourage it, it's kind of it, it does a little bit boil down to external validation like I, I don't mean that in a negative way um you know, we all we all need it, right? It's it's yeah. a human kind of need, certainly in in my opinion and my experience. So it was your your partner helping you with that, and then yeah. also the company seeing and recognizing value in yourself. And it's interesting because in our last episode or our last live event, we talked about is it better to know all of the options out of there? Oh, sorry, is it better to know all of the options out there, or is it better to have a more kind of narrow mindset of mm. industry in terms of your option for career? And it's kind of interesting as well neither of us are psychologists so maybe we shouldn't get into this but when we're talking about kind of growing up and and what you've experienced from your parents I kind of I it sounds like I came from a similar background to your partner in the fact that my dad and my mum are very very driven especially my dad in particular but down a different avenue as well so perhaps not atypical which I'm I'm very uh, fortunate to have as you know and as we've talked about I didn't go to university and my parents 100% supported that but it wasn't uh oh okay you don't need to go to university you can just dust at home it was what are you going to do instead uh instead of going into higher education and potentially the financial implications of that you need to make yourself stand out of the crowd but also be just as qualified as the other candidates out there so uh, yeah I guess this conversation is really interesting to me because I'm maybe a bit on the opposite end of the scale and it's making me realize how blessed I was sort of in my family in my situation uh in the upbringing that I had having the wind at your back I think it's like having champions around you is really powerful and you know, as much as you can have self-imposed glass ceilings, like, you know, expecting myself to achieve nothing and that not happening, you know, having people that like illuminate the way and create those, give you the tools to find your own way, I think is, is powerful. I think it's also, you know, being able to be able to listen and believing people when they tell you that things are possible. And even if you don't believe them, giving it a go anyway. Because you've got nothing to lose. I think that was a massive learning that the worst somebody can ever do is say no. Yeah. Uh, someone once taught me the, the phrase, you know, when you're feeling nervous about or worried about going into any situation, always think of what's the worst that could happen. It, you'll only know where you stand. And yeah. I always kind of now think of going into anything. I'll just I'll just know the end result. Right. So yeah. if I'm worried about a client pitch, um, if after that client pitch doesn't go very well, then you know, that was the end result. It kind of, I don't know, it make, helps me make peace with it and, and think of things in a reflective uh, manner rather than a sort of critical manner. Yeah, I think that's really true. Knowing where you stand is a really powerful place to be. I think, again, going going for things and failing is also a good place to be because you can understand and get feedback about maybe why that wasn't successful. Thinking about like applying for jobs, for instance, you know, why or, or, or client pitches. Yeah, absolutely. Understanding like, well, why has this not happened? Is this a, is this a budget thing? Is this a 
priority thing what's going on to to mean that this isn't top of your list right now so many factors Mm. Lorna has anyone ever told you like directly that when you've suggested something have they ever said that's not possible like a a full-on blunt no about about me yeah about something you were trying to achieve or it's kind of like there's a there's a good book like I think it's called Rejection Proof or something like that which is like this guy that goes out and tries to do because he's he's kind of got this innate fear right of like we're saying of the fear of rejection and he goes out and does all these really crazy things and asks them of people in the hope that he gets a no to kind of people don't say no immunize himself against these no's and I'll have to I'll put the book link in the comments I can't think of it off the top of my head but it is very funny he goes to a donut shop and makes them do an olympic ring logo in donuts and he just asks them and they do it and it's like it's crazy what he gets away with and it kind of has it's made him sort of rejection proof not worried about the outcome so a good book if anyone's uh this conversation is residing with anyone and and sort of back on the topic of kind of conversation and communication i think that i i use that phrase regularly of this is where I stand so that because so many times that and this is going off on a little bit of a tangent but so many times in business people take things very very personally and you kind of back to that um your left side of you that thinks money is the root of all evil yes but it does make the world go round and at the end of the day a company does have to make the money and things aren't personal that's something I really struggle with kind of not taking things personally and also not making other people think that what I'm saying is personal to them um because it you know at the end of the day is it's just business sometimes yeah absolutely I think can talk about things like as an opening statement so thinking about moving into a negotiation having an opening statement and being the person that opens that I think is really crucial to say we're both trying to achieve this thing from my point of view these are things that are most important and these are my red lines this is where I can't move what's your position and that's a really powerful position to be in a powerful place to start um where you can explain why why we're all here what's the purpose Mm. of this and explain what's really important for you and i think what's great then is you know if they come back with anything else you can just refer back to saying i can really appreciate what you're saying there that's one of my red lines and what i'm trying to achieve here for all of us doesn't align with that Mm. but i think that kind of makes things not personal because you're able to put everyone in the circle together and i think you very successfully brought us back on topic because i think conversations like that are the only way that we'll ever be able to kind of distinguish with our colleagues friends family as to where the ceiling or the barrier actually is placed rather than perhaps our perception of where it falls or even if there is a barrier at all um but setting kind of guidelines and conversation like that down i'd say would be a great place to start and certainly bring everybody up and sort of lift those restrictions that we're placing on ourselves and other people perhaps yeah i read a really uh, a really interesting article it was a little bit farcical but um the advice in it said whatever your goal is add a zero so if you're if you want to sell your product for 50p sell it for five pounds if you want to uh, have a salary of 60 grand make it 600,000 because those things end up feeling unachievable and you end up exceeding your first goal. And I think that's a a little bit of a silly statement or a piece of advice, but I think it really speaks to that, you know, changing your expectations of yourself, add a zero, skyrocket it and see how far you go. Mm, Yeah, definitely. No, I think that is sound advice. And, um, Linking to overall kind of perfectionism then, I know that you've been called the P word in the past and that is perfectionist, not any other P words that you can think of. Um, What was your kind of reaction and relationship with that? I really don't see myself as a perfectionist. And so, uh, yeah, it's family members that have called me perfectionist in the past. I think they're 
view of it. And I think it kind of comes back to what I talked about really early on, which is if I don't think I'm going to succeed at it, I don't bother. And that's certainly what happened for a long, you know, big part of my life. And so kind of like if something's not going to be perfect, just what's the point? But I think that the way often that my like perfectionist attitude comes out is in quite controlling behaviour, feeling the need to be managing the people around me, managing everyone's emotions, making sure everyone feels okay. And so yeah, my I think my perfectionism comes out less in less in the work that I do necessarily and more more like the emotional feelings of a room. So kind of almost trying to control people's reactions to you, how how they're receiving you and what you're yeah. saying, right? And, and to other people. I think like any kind of environment of conflict and I think, you know, within managing managing teams um managing teams who manage clients i think is a really it's a role that i thrive in because sometimes you know that's where your 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 role there often is to be the point of escalation if something's not going right either your team escalates something to you or the client escalates something to you because they're not happy and being the person that comes in to change the feeling control the emotions get everyone back on the same page I think is something I really value but the way that it operates in my family is that I often find myself scripting the people around me where if I think there's a disagreement and somebody's saying something in the wrong way I'm like I think you meant blah 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 which is really not a very nice trait that I am that controlling but I think that's how some of my active perfectionism comes out because my other perfectionism comes out in 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 action. I think I'm going to start a a spin-off show called Control Freaks Anonymous. <laughs> Would you like to be co-host? Because I'm such a control freak and a perfectionist as well. Um, both of which have like, I, I kind of don't see these things as negative or positive anymore because I'm kind of bored of following which things society thinks are positive and which are negative, right? So a, a perfectionist can be that I strive for the best. And as long as I know when to stop, I think that's okay. Uh, but in a negative connotation, you know, a perfectionist can micromanage people or perhaps not trust in delegation and things like that. And that that is a side that I would happily recognize and say that I need to work on myself. And the same with, you know, c- control as well. I think perfection and control go hand in hand, right? if you want things to be perfect you're going to try and control things um even things that are outside of your control when i've run workshops in the past we do this thing called the locus of control which is kind of like drawing basically it sounds so posh but it's it's two circles on a page and you write within the first what is actually within your control and then you write everything else in the wider circle what is outside of your control and all it's doing is kind of bringing recognition to actually what you can have an influence over And if you kind of write a list and and do it in that way, what you are able to control is things that are, you know, actually very close to you. And there's a lot of things outside of your control, uh, which I think is important to kind of ground ourselves and bring attention to that um, and essentially just try and move forward and do the best that we can. I also love the locus of control. Oh, good. (laughs) Uh, Again, this is something I use loads with mentoring um, to help people i think you know the as soon as you talk about the propensities of people who have loci of control at either end because i guess the other your diagram is an exercise but there was also like the psychological concept sees people somewhere on a spectrum of that of that locus of control you can either be internally located or externally located and being internally located you believe that you have control over your own fate if you're externally located you believe that everyone else has control over you and most of us fall somewhere on the spectrum but more successful people on the whole are internally located, are driven from within, are motivated from within, and aren't rocked really by external forces. And I think that's also like, if I think about my trajectory, I've gone from being a very externally located through to internally located, um, while still had lots of, you know, external positivity that's got me there, um, over time created the belief that, yeah, I can not only control my own life, 
But obviously, I can always control everyone else's lives as well. That's terrible. <laughs> but you recognise it. I, I have this real thing at the moment where, you know, I, I don't know, this makes me sound so, like, um, indestructible almost. And I, I'm not trying to portray myself in that kind of way. But if people sort of have a, a piece of feedback or a bit of, you know, criticism, whether it be constructive or, you know, otherwise phrased, I kind of can just take that on board now and just be like, Do you know what, there is probably some truth in that. Like, thanks for passing it on. And I don't really think it's like, uh, it doesn't mean that I don't care it doesn't mean that I'm you know not listening or not working on myself I think it's just understanding that everyone's different I don't know is that really lame to to say no I think also having constructive critique is also actually kind of lovely that someone has the confidence that they'll give you the feedback and you'll be able to improve mm. and you'll be able to change and move forwards if that's going to work for you but yeah I think also yeah sometimes the feedback is like okay that's who I am so fine yeah exactly right yeah. And there's some things that you you can't or don't want to do anything about, even if someone passes that on. And I think as well, it's sort of looping back to the the locus of control. It's recognizing it, it, the exercise is to recognize. It's not to to play like an excuse. Like some people might look at that or or say that we are suggesting you look at the things outside of your control and go, oh well, I just won't bother. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's quite the opposite. It should be inspiring, right? Yeah, yeah. I definitely agree that you knowing what's outside of your control and finding ways to bring it inside your control. That's certainly my goal anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. Or Rightly looking, or wrongly. Or looking at those elements. So, you know, say, for example, if I wrote on my locus of control, something that's outside of my control is a client's opinion of the pitch I've given them. You, What you can do with that is kind of break it down a bit further as to how can I, what you're saying, I think I'm just repeating you actually, but um, pulling that within your control or a category of something that could be in my control for that is, well, I'll work on my pitching skills next time. And then that should improve the response from the client. I think maybe that's what you're saying. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Term. Yeah, definitely. You know, if you, I think it, it's true that people's emotions maybe are sometimes out of your control, but they're, but understanding them isn't, and understanding how you can adjust to them also, also isn't. I think also that is, uh, is a big. Maybe this is. I think this comes back to confidence. It's, it's quite a lot of confidence to have feedback from somebody else that is not positive about you, and know whether or not you really want to respond to that, and know whether or not you you think it's right for you to adjust your behavior um because one one piece of negative feedback may not be the experience for everybody um i'm definitely somebody who likes to have critical feedback but also needs it to, i mean i need i don't know if i'm allowed to swear but i need a shit sandwich oh i would God, like somebody yes. to tell me a good thing then we could talk a lot about critique and things i can improve and then finish with a good thing yeah agreed i, I need that mostly i know when i've got it wrong like commendation recommendation commendation but yes if you're um swearing yeah, it's a shit sandwich <laughs> which is fine we can rate this one as r no. <laughs> but also no no you're fine i'm only joking i swear all the time on here uh but i also think that it's providing people a correct forum because i think especially mm -hmm. with what i would call like troll culture right where everyone's a keyboard warrior and can just type in how they feel about anyone's appearance or anything anyone's ever produced online and not get any repercussions from that I think in this day and age it kind of has to be not manipulated but like constructed so you know there's no roasting sessions at, at work if I'm inviting feedback it is I think that I could improve on this but I would like you to comment from your side of opinion as well because definitely 
way more attuned to kind of all the minutiae of things that we ourselves do. And I might think I've, you know, said a thousand erms, ours. Uh, I'm really hammering in the public speaking references today. But um, I might think that for a client pitch, again, keeping this <laughs> consistent example. Clearly you've been doing a lot of it lately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you'd think and um but I could ask the colleague and they would be like you know I didn't even notice I wasn't even aware of it didn't pick it up so I do think we give ourselves a harder rap than perhaps what is externally perceived so I think you know what you said about like keyboard warriors I think actually this is a really interesting point about um the way hybrid and home working operates when you're in the office there's always an opportunity to 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 kind of collaborate on work and so feedback happens through work itself as well as like in one-to-ones and I think what happened when a lot of us ended up working from home is sometimes work is shared once it's finished or it's not quite as collaborative and something that I really noticed um certainly in the first year of the pandemic when we're all working from home is bad habits of firing feedback through teams or slack that maybe was negative or jumping in with like no context say have you got one second and somebody wanting to have a conversation about something that hadn't gone quite right and that was uninvited and not, I have to say this is not something that I experienced massively but I saw it in the company where um yeah feedback was uninvited uh it kind of stopped somebody's work day came out of the blue and made people feel really anxious because even if it happens once and never again, if somebody ever wants to talk to you again middle of the workday, you kind of have this expectation that something has something is not has not been going to plan. Um, and certainly for for me, you know wantons or dedicated time with the people you're managing or your own manager that's the space for inviting and sharing feedback and that being almost on the agenda what's the feedback for this week and how how can we improve and grow but i think i think you know it's a really interesting point that you made about like keyboard warriors and also that, that there's a time and space for inviting feedback and i think you know making sure we're all being careful and hopefully we've all learned i'm sure everyone's had some kind of experience with this over the last couple of years um but i think that's been an interesting quirk of working relationships in terms of that feedback loop. I don't know whether that is something that you've seen or experienced. Yeah, I would agree. I think sometimes people, when when you open the floor for, for feedback, I think people, it, it's the human brain, right? It always jumps to the, the negatives. And I think we need to come out of that because, okay, if there is a, a constructive or a criticism that needs to be aired, sure, we can do that. But, you know, this is, it's not a roast session. It has to be provided in, in the right kind of way. And if you ask for feedback, if you're asked for feedback and you don't reply, even if there's positive feedback to be given like there's a disconnect it, it should be holistic right and I think building on what you're saying about one-to-ones certainly the one-to-ones I have with my team they're as much for them to give me feedback as it is for for them you know it, it's a one-to-one is not always for the line manager to be down to the uh, line manager right it should be Definitely a not. two-way kind of flow and then my chain continues when I meet with my line manager and it, it should be kind of vice versa because yeah. that's how how we all grow and how would we know what others think of us and think that we could improve on if if we didn't ask right yeah yeah definitely it's sacred time yeah i love it too simple (laughs) 40 minutes and our conclusion is just ask (laughs) this was valuable for everyone (laughs) no i i kid i kid but um what do you think so lorna obviously this we talked about glass ceilings we talked about comfort zone do you feel like there's a, a glass ceiling or a limitation overview at the moment or do you kind of see this more as in your remit and your locus of control of, of growth I think my my glass at the moment is not really knowing what I want to do next um and that's a really strange place to be I, 
in 2018, I wrote myself a five-year plan and achieved that in three years, which is lovely. And now I'm like, okay, what what next? I don't know what I want. And so, like, for me, there's less of a glass ceiling and more kind of like a strange shroud. A where Yeah, where I'm like, there's something big up there, but I've got no idea what it is. Um, And I guess, you know, that's a whole other type of glass ceiling, having clarity. And I think going back to what you referenced earlier, our last conversation about identifying lots of opportunities or being single-minded, I'm in a position where I... Need, you know, I need to be single-minded and and haven't chosen a path yet, um, which is in some ways self-limiting, but I think also enabling me to enjoy the role I'm in, really enjoy the team, love the work with the universities that I um, I'm lucky enough to spend a lot of time with. Um, but yeah, feeling a little bit. I can I have like the very very big end goal, mm, but the next bit. step I'm not. I I don't know how to get. I don't know what that next step will be. So. Mm, no. How about I understand. you? I kind of have been in a similar position, I guess. Uh, to to that, I you probably know, but I kind of felt a lot of pressure to, or oh, was putting myself under a lot of pressure to try and make this podcast the only thing I was doing and and my main source of income and things like that. And what it ended up being is that pressure was the limitation because the thing that I enjoyed as a hobby and as a side kind of thing to do, it became a chore because of all this pressure and this, me trying to reach the the ceiling, the glass ceiling or or break through the kind of limitation. And I had um, a good conversation as well on the, the show and on a LinkedIn live with my friend Rupa Data, who is, she calls herself a portfolio person. And I oh. really like this phrase and I've taken it forward because it's essentially saying that you don't have to be defined by one thing right I was trying to go down this path of being like the only thing I'm going to do is a podcast and actually when I started cutting off the things on the side or thinking about cutting off all the other things which actually make me who I am that started to make me yeah exactly I started to feel unhappy and even more lost because I was Mm. like this path I'm going down, I actually don't like it, but I'm sort of halfway, maybe not even halfway, but I'm I'm partway down it. And it, is it too soon to to double back and maybe disappoint a few people who are expecting more or admit that I was a little bit wrong uh, in mm. what I wanted? Those yeah. are all kind of considerations. But now what I see myself is composed of many different things. And there's kind of main themes that tie all of this together. So podcasting, um, events, uh, public speaking, it's all kind of tied together with a bit, with a bit of technology, a bit of speaking and a bit of organization and planning uh, and if one sort of slips back if I don't release a, a podcast in a month then that's okay that's not a failure that's just because the other passions have taken forefront and needed more attention at that time sounds to me like all the things you do really bring people together hopefully may, I, if listeners let me know if you agree <laughs> I think so as a but, as a listener I think so. and <laughs> thanks Lorna and um, certainly they all involve me running my mouth off quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that like the definition, I'm, I'm so sorry we're running over by loads, aren't we? But I think the a really massive journey for me over the last year has been um, moving away from workaholism and like accepting maybe I was a workaholic. <laughs> Um, and not defining myself and not finding my value only in work, which I think is really difficult when you love what you do. And I think you and I are in a similar position where we work in a in a commercial environment, but for very altruistic purposes. And there's something that's really addictive about being in a position where you know you are helping people in a big way. Switching off is very, very difficult. That not being part of your identity or as a core part of your identity is really difficult. I don't know whether you feel the same thing. Yeah, I certainly do. And what you said at the, the start of that section as well resided with me because I was about to challenge you and say, are you a workaholic if you enjoy 
what you do? And I think the answer is technically yes, but maybe in a less severe um, kind of sense, we all know it's kind of important to take breaks and, and do other things. And and that doesn't even necessarily mean sort of sitting on the sofa and doing nothing, but just swapping the category of thing that you're doing to to keep your brain sort of moving from different things and and to give yourself a break from, from that specific capacity. Yeah, definitely. And also interesting what you say about, um, I think, you know, your experience with the, making the podcast, which is really fantastic and Alistair Ask on LinkedIn are amazing as well that that's something that you enjoy so much and were really geared towards monetizing I think it's kind of similar to my experience of writing that I did a lot of writing before did a lot of like poetry writing and wrote a lot of short stories and absolutely loved that and then when I took up a role where I was like well this is how I'm going to make my money now that took all of the joy out of it mm. and I think that's you know I guess I'm thinking so much about you know my sector helping young people choose their next steps there's a lot of talk about like following your passions and that is not to say that that is not a really it's not really good advice but your passion will always be there that's why it's a passion and you can turn that into something that makes you money but you could also be an accountant and crochet yeah agreed and certainly sometimes sounding like a lefty now myself certainly sometimes when money becomes the aim you lose the the real purpose and you know as you were saying the the audience behind it things can get a bit skewed a bit messy they they can link and and go together and and make for you know content that pleases both but it's definitely a difficult balance and and that certainly wasn't one in this case that I was ready or, or willing at that point to to commit to it and move on so yeah definitely I think it's you know I just quote Simon Sinek all the time and it's just start with why isn't it and you can never money is never a reason money is never a good enough reason to create something spectacular agreed yeah because it's not enough of a driver you need some some passion yeah. behind it yeah I think if you look at any business all businesses exist to make money in lots of ways but that wasn't you know, often they start to solve a human problem and they make money by solving human problems. And it's focusing on that challenge that is, you know, keeps people awake all hours and driving towards change and innovation. Yeah, definitely. And I um I saw a good quote um earlier on LinkedIn that I'd actually like to finish with, and it's from Stephen Bartlett. So I know you'll appreciate it. And I think this this is really kind of encapsulates what we've been saying about comfort zone, uh, about skills, and also about kind of trying to break that glass ceiling mindset, not only for yourself, but also supporting other people break it, right? Because I think we're all responsible for that, not just the individuals. And it was um a tweet, I think it was out today, and it goes, Stop telling yourself you're not qualified, not worthy, or not experienced enough. Growth happens when you start doing things you're not qualified to do thank you Stephen Bartlett knows (laughs) he knows yes agreed oh Lorna what a great way to end yes absolutely I agree it has been such a pleasure thank you for gracing the podcast with your presence once again uh and listeners if you like the sound of Lorna's voice or her content she does have her own podcast would you like to tell the guests about that Lorna absolutely we're on a small hiatus at the moment but my podcast is Destination Unknown it's all about career paths you know working with young people I can see that students just don't really know what's available to them in the future we've talked about that today they don't know what's possible or what the future looks like and they don't know how to get there so Destination Unknown tries to uncover that one story at a time more episodes coming soon and Lorna was giving me a sneak preview as well and they sound great so definitely subscribe and tune into that Thank you so much for listening, fellow imperfectionist. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I hope it has inspired you to get closer to your true purpose in life. If you have a question, thoughts on this episode or suggestions of topics or even future guests, I would love to hear from you. 
visit pickingupperfection.com slash participate. You can also follow me on my socials, Instagram, LinkedIn, and even contact me via email. Links for all of this are in the show notes. See you next time. 